morning, everybody. I'm just going to take a moment to take you in. It's great to see all of you. For my talk this morning, I'm going to take a, a similar strategy that I've done, I guess, maybe in the past two or three talks, where uh, actually it was not a strategy, it just happened, but it's been happening two or three times now, uh, where I, I've started with a line or a verse or a couplet and I and the I turn it over and the talk comes out of that verse and I had a similar experience this past uh, couple of weeks with uh, one verse in particular from our 8th century ancestor Dongshan this is from his poem the song of the jewel mirror samadhi which some of you may know. And this is the, the couplet. Turning away and touching are both wrong, for it is like a massive fire. Turning away and touching are both wrong, for it is like a massive fire. And in the immediate context of the poem, Dongshan is talking about suchness and the luminous reality of our immediate experience just at this moment. And he's suggesting an appropriate relationship to that, to that experience, to that, the, to that realization that we can't ignore it. And also we can't grasp it. So again, another articulation of a middle way. And of course, this can also include you know, the, the immediate experience of our own karmic self, our own uh, conditioning that arises. It would is necessarily included in that. There's no separation. So a similar, uh, the, uh, the teaching is the same, not to ignore it and also not to touch it to the extent that we uh, get caught up in it. He says they're both wrong. Doing that is, is wrong. And I think by wrong here, he means not skillful, not wholesome, um, harmful, potentially harmful. And what really brought this uh, teaching to life for me was the, the most recent 
uh, inflammation or eruption of uh, coordinated white supremacy that we saw uh, play out in Washington last week. And, and what it brought forth was a request uh, for me as a white person, actually I'll say as a white man, to not turn away from this. And it's, uh, it's kind of easy to see how this turning away has shown up in, in the public sphere you know, mostly as some kind of denial, you know, that, uh, that this is not who we are, that we just need to heal. That this is not America. That somehow we can have recon- reconciliation without truth. <laughs> it's called truth and re- reconciliation for, for a reason. But what I was... Uh, more interested in and what uh, came to life of me as the request of the practice was really investigating my own personal varieties of turning away um, in this, um, in this historical moment. Uh, for me, it was very easy for me to get kind of immediately engrossed in the news and social media. And I think, uh, you know, there's kind of, when I was doing that, it, it kind of gave me an, an illusion of being actually engaged and being informed. But I think very quickly I hit a point of diminishing returns about how much, when was I informed enough? And when did I start uh, just being kind of batted around and fueled by my own reactivity, um, my own conditioning? Um, how easy it was it was to become, you know, kind of righteously confirmed in my own position versus uh, a group of, you know, you know, a white supremacist mob, and that was not me. And I very quickly lost touch with my with my ground. And, and lost touch with the larger context in which this was playing out. It became very easy to uh, ignore the, the pervasive dynamics of white supremacy that are woven into the fabric of the country because I was so focused on what Rebecca Solnit had to say and what everybody else had to say about what Rebecca Solnit had to say and 
and I, uh, I was, I was kind of, uh, kind of this kind of toxic levitating out of my body that started to happen. In a way, I was kind of simultaneously turning away and touching. Yeah, I was so enthralled by my own position, by the position of others, and invested in those things that resulted in this uh, turning away of a larger context. And I really, I really felt I'm at sea. I really felt at sea. So how to, how to respond, how to, uh, how to come back, how to find uh, my ground again. How can I discern between the energy of my reactivity and the fiery energy that's needed to move towards justice? How can I discern those when I'm uh, so uh, pushed along by my own conditioning? So I'd like to go back to Dongshan for uh, for some support. Also from the Jewel Mir Samadhi. The meaning is not in the words, yet it responds to the inquiring impulse. Another translation has, the meaning is not in the words, but a pivotal moment brings it forth. And then later on, few stanzas later, subtly included within the true inquiry and response come up together. Another translation of that line, drumming and singing begin together. So he's talking about this intimate relationship between inquiry and response. What kind of inquiry. As I was sitting Zazen this week, um, in the midst of all this, I became convinced that the inquiry that he's talking about is self-inquiry. It's what Dogen calls turning the light, turning the light inward to illuminate yourself. That's the kind of inquiry that opens us up to a response. Again, Dogen, to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. So we're studying the self And then that opens us up to the experience of the myriad things arising as us. And the response goes along with that arising of the myriad things. 
So there's this activity of turning the light inward, looking at our own conditioning, how we, uh, how the self is built out of our own grasping of our own conditioning. And in that process, there's an opportunity for the world to come forth for a wider context to inform a response. So this turning the light inward is kind of a, it's a safeguard in a way. It protects us and others simultaneously uh, from, uh, protects us from responding from our own uh, karmic patterns. We're able to see these uh, patterns rise up, not turn away from them, not grasp them, and open up to a larger context. So how do we do that? I was once told that a Dharma talk, you have to make sure you're being concrete here and there. So you give some people some uh, practical advice. In Zazen, of course, that's, I guess that's the easy answer. We practice in Zazen, allowing our minds to manifest and come up in the way they do. And we can sit still in that moment and allow it to come up and not respond in our habitual way. I, uh, I was gonna say, I think, but I'm not gonna hedge here. It's crucial that this happens with others and in community. The, uh, this request to not turn away and not to touch requires a, uh, this great leap of faith and a tremendous amount of courage Faith in the promise that letting go of my my habitual response will open me up to a more appropriate response. So as Dr. King would say, you could say faith in in, uh, the moral arc of the universe in that case. So a faith, a trust that, that, that that's true. And doing this in community, I think gives us a context to explore that faith and cultivate that trust. And also courage because this is a 
the request of turning away and not turning away and not touching is a request to uh, venture beyond the comfort of our our own warm, comfortable karma that has uh, clothed us for so long. So there's a, uh, you know, it's a, it can sound like a risky proposition. So faith in a truth that functions outside the boundaries of, uh, of our own limited perspective and courage to uh, walk towards that boundary and uh, interrogate it. That's the inquiry, is interrogating those borderlands. I heard, uh, I can't remember where I heard this. Somebody in the Sangha said this recently. And I thought it was uh, um, a wonderful insight. And I'm paraphrasing here. But they said something like, I know there is a path because I can see you are all on the path with me. Maybe it was, we had a Dharma share recently. It might've been there. I know there is a path because I can see you are all on the path with me. And, uh, which in, when you read the sentence, it's like, that's, it's a, it's that logic of that is not immediately apparent. I know there's a path. Reason I know there's a path is because others are on this path with me. So it's almost like the path, the community and the path rise up together simultaneously. And so it's crucial walking with others. You could say walking with others is how I know how to, how to walk, where to walk. So I think that's the, that quote, I think really uh, uh, encapsulates the faith and the courage of that request to move beyond uh, the comfort and the privilege that's afforded by our limited views. And so in community, we, we, we're training how not to turn away, which is an indispensable training uh, when we're up against uh, deeply entrenched systems like patriarchy and racism white supremacy that um, that can't be quickly healed away. So the uh, spiritual friendship on this 
path is is crucial. I wanted to say a few words um, about the Martin Luther King speech that we're going to chant later um, as part of our service that we do each time this year around his birthday. And the uh, speech is called A Time to Break Silence. And we're going to chant a, an excerpt from it that comes at the very end of the speech. This was a speech he delivered on April 4th, 1967, uh, a year to the day before he was killed. Um, and he gave this speech at uh, Riverside Church in New York. And I encourage you to read the entire uh, speech, if you can. Um, he's, uh, he's talking against the Vietnam War. And as we know, he got a lot of resistance. That's a kind word. Um, when he started talking about the war, certainly from the government who was waging the war, um, but also from other clergy who thought he should just focus on civil rights and that he was somehow strained from his purview by talking about the war. But he saw very clearly that the, what he calls the, the three evils of racism, militarism, and capitalism are inextricably intersecting. I think we can now safely add patriarchy to that trio and make it a quartet. And so he, in, a, in the speech, he's talking, he's naming the fact that he can no longer be silent about this. Um, like it or not. And the, uh, the person who told me about, you know, being concrete in your drama talks, they gave me four qualities that are, uh, that um, make up a, a, a good talk. And not that I'm doing this, but um, should be collective, no, personal, poetic, collective, and concrete. Um, and when you read this speech, um, it's incredible. He, he hits all of those and more and actually has very concrete things about what the government should do with respect to Vietnam and, and Cambodia and Laos. Um, and of course, personal, deeply prophetic. So when we, uh, I invite you when we chant this later, 
to really feel into the courage and the faith that he's asking us to embody in the face of these intersecting evils. Again, just inquire about that courage and that faith. And, uh, and see how that feels. So my hope is that as a community that we can support each other in the ongoing work of not turning away and not touching, that we can, that we can enter into a relationship with our own suffering that is intimate, so an appropriate response can be articulated that we can together participate in that alchemy of meeting suffering and then responding. I think that's um, all I wanted to say. Um, So thank you so much for coming today and and listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.